0: welcome to this week's failed critics podcast i'm steve norman i'm joined by owen hughes hello liam good evening and andrew brooker evening guys as this week, we take a look at the triple bill of our favourite westerns with the release of the um, remake of The Magnificent Seven, starring Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt, amongst others. Um, and we've also got a few other films to review as well. We're going to start off with the quiz, where it's delicately poised, though, at two all after you winning the main quiz, but me winning the surprise. Um, round of of Bitch or Witch.
1: Yeah, that was a nice quiz from Paul, actually.
0: Paul is good at a quiz.
1: He can host a quiz, can't he? Mm. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, so this week, I'm I'm just one win away from making you watch Killer Bitch. And it's going to happen at some point. You either do it now or when I next win the quiz. And Brooker can attest to the quality of Killer Bitch because I made him sit through it.
2: (laughs) It's why I'm going to work extra hard to make sure that I don't let Steve watch it. I know <laughs> oh. it's such an awful film. I'd literally rather push splintered bamboo up my anus than watch that film. What an image!
0: <laughs> well, um, my quiz this week is themed around West. The word West. Um, sometimes <laughs> Kanye Wild West. And... No, yeah. not quite Kanye. Um, so uh, the quiz is obviously Brooker and Liam versus Owen. Uh, Brooker and Liam trying to win me the crucial point. Um, questions will will vary in type, like they did last week. First of all, West Side Story or Five All Goes West had the highest lifetime gross, according to Box Office Mojo.
1: West Side Story.
3: Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, West Side
0: Story. You are both correct. That is uh, one all.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: uh, question two. In the film Green Street, the hooligans were hooligans of West Ham United Football Club. That's where West comes into this question. Who play, which now more famous actor than playing this awful role, um, which actor played Pete Dunham
2: in Green Street?
1: Was it Elijah Wood? No. no.
2: It was Charlie Hunnam.
1: It was Brooker. Brooker.
2: Oh. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible film. It's fucking <laughs> ghastly. I only watched it because I liked the woman that made it. And uh, now I wish I'd never watched it. Do, do you know there's a trilogy as well? A Green Street yes. trilogy. And I have seen all three
0: of them. <laughs> Why? I've also seen all three Gold films.
2: Isn't oh, Scott McKinnon in one of the sequels? I, I don't know. I, is he? I'm pretty sure he is. Well, I may have to dig him out then, they. Eh? I quite like a bit of Scott Adkins. Talking of Scott Adkins, I spotted uh uh a sequel to... Fuck, I've forgotten what it's called. The Van Damme Manhunter. Universal oh. Soldier? No. Hard Target.
1: Uh, what? There is a
2: Hard Target 2 with Scott Adkins in it. I saw the DVD in Tesco's the other day. No. Yep. No way. It looks like the worst piece of shit
1: (laughs) in the fucking world.
2: I almost choked seeing it.
1: That's insane. I know there's a kickboxer film coming out with Batista in it.
2: Yeah, see, I kind of want to watch it for Batista, but don't want to watch it because it's a kickboxer sequel. (laughs) Yeah.
1: There's about a million kickboxer films. I think Albert Pyron made a couple of them, made a few of them. Anyway,
0: we've got a quiz to do.
1: Let's go let's with
0: the quiz. Let's do question it. <laughs> question three with Brooker and Liam 2-1 up. What position did Will Smith's Wild Wild West song to accompany the the hit movie peak at in the UK charts? Three.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that, yeah. Three, about that, yeah. Two.
0: Second. Oh, Owen, Owen has uh, bought the scores level in the quiz. <gasps> Ooh. Whereas it did peak at number two.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, number no. one in my heart, but uh, number
1: two in the eyes of the <laughs> yeah. British public, obviously I, I think you should do a rap of it, Steve Do you remember the time you made me do a rap? I think this is your turn to rap You can't make me,
0: I'm, I'm the host, I can literally not do it <laughs> I won't uh, you got to so, do a little
1: bit, a bit just the first time
0: No, line. no what, you, what you can do is go back through all the podcasts we've ever done And cut together me doing it <laughs>
1: Man, I can't be bothered doing that. Because
0: that's the, that's the only way I'm doing it. So that's two all. Question four. The man with no name in the uh, famous Sergio Leone trilogy is given three different monikers throughout the trilogy. Three different, uh, He's called three different things throughout the films. Name them. I'll give you a point for each one. If you can get all three, you can have a bonus point.
1: Uh, I can I... do two, I reckon.
3: Not, not it, a chance for me. I can't
1: do him. God, I can't remember his name.
2: I, I think... Oh, fuck. Wasn't he... I think he was just called, like, Joe in one of them. And... Well, I, you can I, say... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know what the other one is. I know what the other one is. Blondie. Yeah, I was going to say Blondie as well. Fucker. Yeah. <laughs> right, so you've, 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 you've
0: both got two each there. Anybody yeah. want to hazard a guess on the third? Uh, Joe, Joe was from the first film of the trilogy and Blondie from the last. So it's just the middle one you're looking for. A
1: few dollars more. Clint?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's the actor's name, huh? Yeah, it's
1: just wild guess. You never know.
0: Bob. <laughs> no. Any Anyone else sure? want to hazard a guess?
3: Uh, Dave. <laughs> no. Uh, Dave.
0: <laughs> no. Robert. Right. I will tell you the answer. <laughs> and the answer is... Manco, oh.
2: Manco. I would never have guessed that one. Sounds like a gay porn production company.
0: Well, yeah. in, maybe, you know. no, it um, it apparently means one-armed and or, or lame of one hand in Spanish, and he got called that because he does everything with his left hand except um, drawing his weapon. He leaves his uses his left hand all the time, so he leaves his right hand free for shooting guns. It's very sensible, and that and is pissing. why he is called that. Yes. So, final question with the score's level. Who of these actors has not played Billy the Kid? Is it Paul Newman, Kevin Costner, or Emilio Estevez?
1: Uh, Kevin, Costner. Kevin Costner. He was wired up, wasn't he? He was indeed, yeah. yes. Hmm. So, So have you got a tie-break? <laughs> yes, I do. Who can shoot the hat out of the air? Yes. <laughs> it's
0: um, not a very good... Um, audio-friendly. No, no. But no, if you can just allow the link to, to load up of what I need for the <laughs> type <time> break.
1: <laughs> but whilst that's loading, I was planning on... I, they had the Michaelmas fair. Do you know Michaelmas. Um, it's like, uh, anyway, basically, it's this fair that we have in the village where I live, uh, sort of once a year. And there was a live sort of brass band there. And they were playing themes from westerns. At one point. So I thought, oh, this would be quite good because I can record this. And then what I can do is use it in the podcast. Um, Have a listen to why it's not going to feature.
2: That's pretty fucking terrible. (laughs) Jesus, where?
1: The <laughs> point, ears there we go. You can have thirty seconds of that. Um, just knock, just knock oh. that the yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tiebreaker is, according to Box Office Mojo, which Clint Eastwood film that he has starred in in an acting role or featured in as an acting role has the highest lifetime gross? Mm. Um,
3: its
1: highest grossing film.
0: Highest lifetime gross, according to Box office mojo with him as an actor, not a director or producer. He might have done more than one of the roles, but this is a film he might Mm. have been an actor, director or whatever in the film. This is with him acting in it, as well as doing whatever else he may or may not have done.
1: I think it was Million Dollar Baby. Um,
3: Mm. I don't know, I
1: mean... I reckon
2: uh, either Unforgiven or Gran Torino. Yeah,
3: I'd go with I think I'd go with unforgiven of those two i was thinking like, yeah. it could be something something that you wouldn't realize that's been around for so long and mm. so, built up so many So something bloody awful like every which way but loose or uh, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. please or let or it
1: something. be heartbreak ridge that film is <laughs> ship. i love it so much <laughs> well dirty dirty harry is my backup I think. so
0: yeah. well you don't have a backup you have you have one and okay. you've got a million-dollar baby. So yeah. what is what is Brooker and Liam's final...
3: I'd say, what do you think? Unforgiven,
0: yeah,
2: well, I would have. Un- Unforgiven sounds good to me. Yeah.
0: Well, neither of you were right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but Unforgiven was closest. Unforgiven is third. Gran Torino was
2: the winner of $148 million.
0: Oh, uh, f- what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's hell. not
2: surprising at all, man. That, that bad boy got marketed to death Un-
0: Unforgiven was 101 million and $1 Million Dollar Baby was 100 million fucking hell uh, um, I mean if you want a bigger shock Space Cowboys is fifth on the list <laughs> <laughs> so and, I mean as it's got Cowboys in the title is that a western <laughs> Every Which Way But Loose um, is sixth no <laughs> 85 million dollary dudes. Jesus what was the orangutan called in that?
3: Clyde. Clyde Clyde yeah, yeah
0: old um Anyway, so Owen, you've lost. Yeah. It makes me truly happy to say you've lost. Yeah, I bet it does. I know how you're a, a, a fan of, of parody films.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And on Netflix, yeah. there's a, there a parody of a pretty recent big hit franchise. The fear in his voice is awesome. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: I want you to watch to 2013's The Starving Games, which is on Netflix.
1: The starving oh. games. You yeah. motherfucker.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: that's,
2: that's so cruel.
1: Welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely on Netflix. I haven't got to go and pay money. It's no, it's definitely it's, defi- it's definitely on Netflix. Or it was it
0: was last time I it showed up on Netflix when I looked. Well I didn't look, but it's it's saying it's on Netflix.
1: I've got so much better things to do with my time, you arsehole. You utter <laughs> <an> asshole. Haha. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> hmm. Oh. God damn it. I can't <laughs> wait for next week. Do you want to do some news, Owen?
1: Oh, go on. <laughs> doesn't sound
0: like he does anymore. <laughs> no, doesn't sound like he wants to do the podcast anymore. Do you want us three just
1: to finish up? I'll just go. I'll see you later. I'm gonna go to sleep and hide. I'm never wake up. Fucking starving games. Jesus Christ.
2: God, I'm looking this film up. It just looks so awful. It's got a 3.3 on IMDb.
1: I didn't even like the fucking Hunger Games. What am I going to get out of this?
2: All the laughs, (laughs) half the calories is the tagline of this.
1: (laughs) Uh, I bet that's the funniest
2: thing about it. President Snowballs is one of the characters. This is painful. Like, just to plot keywords... Mm. Parody, spoof, fight, game, and pickle. Lovely.
1: Seems right up my alley. Excuse
2: the pun. <laughs> anyway, should we do
0: some news? Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah so uh, Jumanji, Owen. Jumanji 2. hmm Was that the yeah. end of news? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's happening. Um, it's though no, coming for some criticism, because Karen Gillan is starring in it, and in the poster, she's wearing very, very many clothes, and it's meant to be a kid's film.
1: Yeah, it's not really under criticism because Karen Gillan's in it. Um, it is It is just because of what she's wearing. The poster apparently shows her wearing quite skimpy costume and uh, that immediately caused a proverbial Twitter storm um, where outraged feminist men from everywhere were criticising how the fact that in the poster all well, the men are wearing sensible clothes, but clearly Karen Gillan is... Not wearing sensible clothes for a jungle Jumanji environment. Um, Have these people ever
0: been women in a Jumanji jungle environment? It's very unlikely. Because if they haven't, it? how
1: can they say? Maybe the rock is overdressed for Jumanji. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can. My my immediate reaction was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, is it that bad? Um, and then I do kind of think, well, you look at it and. Sh- she, she is wearing not very much and the others do seem to be wearing quite comfortable clothes. And then it was, it was obviously time then for Karen to come out and defend her, the poster because probably she was contractually obliged um, to say, well, you have to wait until you see my character in the film because it's all set up for a payoff, which is like the automatic defence. I mean, just like without anything that I've just said, just completely... Um, of your own opinion, not unbiased by anything I may have just prejudiced you with there. What what did you guys think when you first saw this picture? Because I don't think any of you were aware of it until I sent it via email. No, I mean
0: out, out of context. Yes, it does look a bit unsuitable for a a children's film and B, um, a, a practical jungle wear. But I mean you know within context maybe what karen has said is is right and it will work as part of a joke and you know she's maybe she's not wearing it for long it's just for this joke i, I don't know if that makes it right uh, i don't really think it's something that's worth all the the fuss that's mm. being dragged up about it as usual with a lot of these things um without yeah. without without, without seeing the film i think it's difficult to say because if it is, a, is it is for a joke and you know, there is a good payoff and it's not, it's not done to make her, um, objectify her in any way. If it's done just for this joke and then there's the a costume change as such after a while, then yeah, we're all just making a big deal over nothing.
1: But I, I don't know. Hm. Mm. How about, um, you, Liam, what was your opinion when I
3: sent it to you? Well, when you said about it at first, I thought, well, I didn't watch the first one. Um, I won't be watching this. You've never show. seen Jumanji? Of course I bloody haven't. How the hell would right. I be watching that for? Uh, good yeah. God, no. No 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 no. <laughs> no. no, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, just no. Uh, Robin Williams, no, nothing. No, mm. uh, no not for me. Um, and then, so I thought, well, the second one, I don't know it's also about the second one. I haven't seen the first one. And then I did, I did actually have to Google her name at first because I wasn't sure who she was. And then I saw what it was about, the... Um, the poster, and yeah, you all right. It well, to be honest, at first it didn't really register with me. At first, so, you know, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't particularly look at it and think there was anything wrong. And then you think about it, you think, yeah, do you know what? It is a bit. It's a bit off if you do think about it. It's it does look out of place mm-hmm. compared to the how the fellas are dressed and that. You know, um, it's a bit like you said again. It's it's not the end of the world. It's a, like nightmare situation that that twitter seems to no. bring down on everything sort of thing. Um yeah, it's it, it is yeah. something that should be considered certainly but like again if it's if it fits the plot if it fits whatever tweak that her character appears mm-hmm. in sort of thing then then we well, fair play you know but um it's it's one of the, it's, it's not worse, quite uh, as bad. Of, is it? Yeah, it's not quite as bad. Um it's not as, as um, disastrous as some of them. I I mean, I know there are people who will literally go over something with a magnifying glass to find something to have a Mm -hmm. mental breakdown about, you know, just say it's it's the end of the world is nice, sort of thing. Um, This one's definitely got a kernel of truth to it, but it's not worth the hassle, I don't think. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of the fuss over Jurassic World when. uh, uh, was it Jessica Chastain who was in that No it's um what's her name Bryce
0: Finney what's it Oh yeah
1: Bryce D- D- Dallas Howard Yeah she had high heels on in the um jungly bit the jungly environment stuff Yeah but that and... that
0: that was made sense in the story because she was an, like an yeah. executive person she was at work and so she was dressed yeah. for work how she would be dressed for work and then stuff happened, and she had to go out in the jungle. She didn't have time to
1: change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there she's was... looking for her nephews, you know. So that I'm not bringing it up as a problem. I'm just sort of highlighting that it, for some people it was a problem in a similar sort of way. And then it turned out it made sense. Um, but this isn't like the first time this sort of uh, problem has has occurred. And it wasn't the second time with with um, Jurassic World because Brooker, you you mentioned something to to us. Before we started recording, when we were discussing this with uh, Metal Gear Solid Five,
2: yeah, so a couple of years ago, I don't know, I don't know how up on on that video game news you guys are.
1: Oh well, I've literally in the past week started playing Metal Gear Solid Five for the first time.
2: Okay, bit, fair enough, up to date. I mean, yeah. for seven I for played...
1: out this week, so. Oh yes, pre-ordered.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Okay. So, but
1: I mean, if you were to ask me about Pokemon Sun and Moon, I could probably give you a full detailed analysis. But please don't. I can't remember any (laughs) any requests for that. So carry on. So it's about
2: uh, must have been a year before Metal Gear Solid Five came out. They started getting promotional shots of a character in it called Quiet, and with as very few spoilers as I can, uh, there was uproar—actual uproar, like. Three, four times as bad as what's happened over this. This shot of Karen, what's her name? Glenn? Gillen. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Gillen, I think. You won from so
2: Doctor Who. That uh, doesn't help yeah. me in the slightest. <laughs> you won
0: so,
1: from
2: Guardians of the Galaxy. She
1: was, in, she was the blue one in Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. The
0: blue one That's from true, Guardians man. of the Galaxy. Hey, <laughs> uh, is her that costume in that a bit more objective? Because that was like she was just like painted blue, pretty much.
1: Um, maybe. I don't know, I don't think so, because she was wearing full costume, wasn't she? I can't remember. She wasn't, like, turned into a sex thing. No, I suppose not, but it, yeah. Oof. I think,
0: I mean, you could look back to her first episode of Doctor Who when she appeared as, as like, a, a kissagram in, like, a sexy policewoman's uniform, and Doctor Who's a kids' mm-hmm. TV show. So maybe everyone's just objectifying Karen Gillan.
2: I don't know. Maybe Karen Gillan's yeah. objectifying herself maybe <laughs> maybe
1: or, or i'm maybe, gonna get so much maybe. shit for that yeah that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what was this this stuff about
2: quiet uh, there, was this, there was this uproar about what this woman wears or what this woman was wearing and she was all but fucking naked this woman and it was really well it still is really gratuitous and just far far too much and the problem was Like, the guy that makes or made the Metal Gear Solid games, Hideo Kojima, he he came out with this thing, and I've got a quote. Uh, I created her character as an antithesis to the women characters appeared in the past, this awful English fighting game, who were excessively exposed. Quiet, who doesn't have a word, will be teased in the story as well, but once you recognise the secret reason for her exposure, you will feel ashamed of your words and deeds. So, literally, mm-hmm. this dude's come out and gone, you've got no fucking idea what you're talking about. Wait till you play the game and you'll feel stupid for getting in a fucking tizzy about it. And it turns out that the reason for her being naked is because Hideo Kojima wanted a naked bird in his game. Because
1: Basically, the, like the
2: it. actual reason for it is such a complete load of bollocks that there is it's, there is no like,
0: way. It sounds like when I tried to initiate strip monopoly. <laughs> I just, just, want, just want a naked bird in the game.
2: Well, this is it. You know, we you know we want more naked people, and that's okay. And if and my I mean my thing with Metal Gear Solid Five is if the guy had come out and gone, I am basically a fifteen-year-old in a grown-up's body. I just wanted boobs. I would have gone. Eh, fine, you're a dick, but fine. But this just it made it so much worse when he went no 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 you're you're all wrong and you'll be ashamed that you you got in such a tizzy about it and just bollocks and the problem was it was the first thing that came to mind when you emailed the thing about karen gillen today and i didn't know who she was i had no idea there was any kind of uproar and i looked at it mm-hmm. and the first thing that came up in my search for her was her response saying there is a reason and the payoff is worth it i promise and Kojima's thing was the first thing that popped into my head, and I thought, it really, really needs to be. Otherwise, you've completely fucked it.
0: Anyway, mm. um, so that, that's all for the news. But talking about video games is a nice little segue, Brooker, into something else.
2: Yeah, so Owen has very, very graciously let me steal the Fail Critics feed for a week. And me and a friend of mine are going to do a, a video game-based podcast so a good good mate of mine, John, who I've I've known for years and we've played games together for years, we're we're putting together a little bit of a we're basically stealing the failed critics setup and just using it for video games.
1: For a very reasonable fee as well.
2: Yes, for a very reasonable fee.
0: Well, I mean, if you ever and I doubt you will not being a football fan, ever want to do a special on football manager, championship manager, <laughs> I can See? quite happily occupy an hour's airtime talking about what was an addiction that nearly it would probably cost me better grades in my GCSEs
2: to be perfectly fair you know John is a massive FIFA fan and a football manager fan and a well, motorsport manager fan so I mean it's not just going to be me and my shit They're, you know hopefully it'll be quite diverse and there'll be a, a bit of a covering of everything but obviously we need some time to to feel out what we're talking mm. about, I've got ideas, assuming we're allowed to continue past the first episode. Uh, oh, just do it, just, of... just,
0: just do it, you bloody one. This
2: has been going on for four years, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's scope well. to talk
0: shit about anything, trust
2: me. But you've also got like an interview as well. I you? have. So I, I've i been a fan of a, a video game reviewer called Kevin Van Ord for a, quite a few years now. And about a year ago, he moved on to do video game development. Uh, for a couple of MMO companies so I spent a couple of hours chatting with him on Friday and I, quite painfully actually because I didn't want to put you know I, I wasn't sure how much time I could fill with an interview with a guy about you know talking about making video games so I cut it down to about 20-25 minutes and I had to get rid of so much stuff it was heartbreaking actually because it was a really interesting dude to talk to and I'm definitely keeping that interview and I'm going to make it a bit you know i'm going to clean it up a little bit and assuming hoping you know that this takes off as a thing i can release it separately later on because he's a really interesting dude to talk to
0: well yeah there's something for us all to look forward to i'm sure it'll be sure it'll be excellent and your editing skills will be up to scratch and, and everything will sound spot on thank you i hope so <laughs> in triple bill this week we are doing our favorite westerns as um we are also reviewing later the new magnificent seven film to get us started i suppose should we just do the whole trilogy owen the dollars trilogy (laughs) if we're talking westerns this was most likely going to come up from at least one of us um so we may as well we might as well talk about the whole mm-hmm. the whole thing,
1: Owen. What I was going to start with by talking about them was by starting off with the Hayes Code. You know the Hayes Code? I think most yeah. people know, yeah. You know, yeah. the motion p- picture production code yeah. governed the rules and the morals of Hollywood movies from the 30s through to the late 60s. Um, and the Western genre in particular was widely known to be affected by the Hayes Code um, and the actors and directors therein. Um. but yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm sure I don't need to explain exactly what it was, but you know, for the benefit of those who might not have heard of it and can't remember the dates exactly, it was the censorship of motion pictures between 1930 and 1968. And I mention it because there was one film, uh, one specific movie that pretty much single-handedly put a stop to the Hays Code and made them rethink what they were doing in Hollywood. And it happened to be a Western that broke that. And that was um, Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, the third part of the trilogy, his Dollars trilogy, uh, which starred Clint Eastwood as the man with no name. Um, But it was a trilogy, Steve, wasn't it? Yes. And it, it had two films that preceded it, and they were... A Fistful
0: of Dollars from 1964 and for a few dollars more from 1965. They got that trilogy out quick, didn't they? Yes. Film film a year for
1: three years. Um, I don't know whether they were all made in very quick succession as well. But, I mean, the the point of a spaghetti western anyway was that you could just make a western, but in Italy or Spain, and make it very, very cheaply and very, very quickly in very, very bad conditions. Um, So they were, you know, cheapest chips to make. But Although The Good, The Bad and The Ugly was quite expensive by comparison because there was things like blowing up bridges in it which was just incredible rather than you know a standoff in a town which was just a remake of yojimbo no no cgi it's probably blowing up an actual bridge Yeah, yeah yeah exactly and that would have cost them a lot of money there were lots of extras in the good the bad and the ugly you know there's all the civil war yeah people the uh yankees and so on and it's just it's Quite a big epic sort of western, really. It is quite a big scale. It's huge, yeah, and it started off as this little um, set in one town with you know one guy playing two gangs off each other, yeah, kind of thing. It was, it's, it was completely different, but at the same time had this, it had that same Sergio Leone spark to it, Um, and it it just kind of blew Hollywood away and real made them rethink. How they're making films, um. So it's you know vitally important picture it was to to modern cinema. But I fucking love the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I think the thing about the thing about the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and the fist you know a fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more, is that people who normally don't like westerns will say, "But I do like the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I do like the spaghetti westerns." Because it's a different genre completely um, to your sort of typical standard Western. I think I've argued this on the podcast in the past. I think you have. And been roundly laughed at for it. And James and, and Jerry, for sure, just would have none of it. But I, I just don't think spaghetti Westerns and Westerns are the same genre. I think, yes, yeah, spaghetti Westerns are basically Westerns for people who don't like your typical American Western. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not
0: the biggest fan of Westerns. And I've watched this trilogy quite late on, you know, only in the last few years watched it for the first time, watched it knowingly, you know, watched the whole film, sat down and watched it properly in the last few years and straight away I was hooked by it and it is different to other westerns, I mean yes it shares certain themes and ideas and whatever but it is, it is, does have a difference to to more to more typical westerns um, well kind of just gripped by it straight away mainly with Clint Eastwood's man with no name character but also just the way it looked and you know the like you said the the bridges being blown
1: up and the scale of it and yeah it's outstanding it's outstanding the the thing about westerns right people like John Ford, Howard Hawks the the big names of the western cinema they were people who would use the western as a means of telling a kind of a story that's not necessarily about the West. You get stuff like, you know, movies that would be telling the story of the gunfighter, OK, Corral, or there would be about Billy the Kid or Jesse James or whatever. But then you'd also get High Noon and, you know, Red River and, and these sort of films that would try and do something not typical with the Western genre. But then along came Sergio Leone and Carbucci and all these other Italian guys who were just... Completely just obliterate what a Western was supposed to be. OK. Uh, Liam, what's your first pick? Uh,
3: well, my first one is, um, it's a little on the borderline, sort of where we're saying about different genres and that. It's The Treasure of Sierra Madre, the Humphrey Bogart film. John Huston um He wrote and directed it. And uh, he got Oscars for both jobs. Uh, and he uh, was uh, filmed in 1948, and Humphrey Bogart plays a character called Dobbs, who's um like a a bum around a, local, around a a Mexican town, um and he's constantly playing up to any American he can to try and scrounge beer money off of them, keep him going. And um, there's one guy that he constantly, uh he's constantly seeing beg from, and uh, it's uh, John Houston himself in a uncredited cameo in it, and. Um, He's in a bar one night and this Mexican kid comes up, and starts pestering him to buy him a lot buy a lottery ticket off of him. And um he refuses and says, you know, get out of here, I need what money I've got and all that. Um and the kid keeps coming back to him and pestering him to buy this super lucky number thirteen ticket. And um he buys well, he buys a quarter share in one and clears off to the local DOS house to spend the night and gets talking to two uh the two fellas in the bunks next to him. There's um, an old fella called Howard. Uh, he's played by John Houston's dad, Walter. Uh, and he got Best um, Supporting Actor for this film as well. Oh. Then the young, sort of naive-type cowboy called Curtin is there. Who's, they start talking about um, get-rich-quick schemes and ways they can they make their retirement. And young Curtin wants to get some money together so he can go off and find a wife. They come up with this idea that the old fella knows of these hills, when all they need is some startup money, and they'd they'd definitely be in clover, sort of thing. They're, get, they're gathering together. The old bloke's got enough for his share. They each the other two have got part of it, and then it's the only part of the film that sort of bugs me really is, uh, you know, hey presto, the Mexican turns up saying, hey, you won the lottery, sort of thing, and uh, <laughs> it's enough just enough to cover. Dobbs is one and young Curtin, he can loan Curtin enough on the proviso that he pays him back out of out of the gold when they win it. And they head off heading up into the mountains to uh, to find their gold and to fight off the bandits and the local sort of army type police, a bit unruly types known as the Federalis. It's not really what you'd think of as a traditional Western, as in that it's not set in a sort of one horse cowboy town. It has got the little Western feel to it. Um, it could easily fall into a number of different genres, a sort of uh, adventure story types. Um, I'd say even a film noir. It gets it, it's very close to in the the atmosphere between the three men as the story progresses. But the main storyline is really it's a, a take on um, the psychology of greed, what greed does to a man, and um, way. Uh, Bogart's character slowly starts to move from being happy to be part of a joint venture with some people he trusts and wants that and he starts to get a little bit wary of them gets a little bit secretive and then he starts to wonder and then pick over everything that's said and it slowly builds through suspicion to hostility and paranoia and then down, downright murderous rage and it's just a brilliant study on what happens when a man starts unravelling purely based on greed and suspicion. A fan of Hitchcock would um, would love this. It's got that same sort of vibe of the, the mental torment and the mental breakdown and what it leads him to and just how low he will sink to um, make sure that he gets his, nobody else touches it and he's not going to be held back by anybody and all that. So um, it's... Uh, not really a negative aspect to this film at all. I mean, even a even someone like me can uh, uh, imp- appreciate each how each sto- um, each of the three main characters' storylines ends in a way that's thoroughly appropriate for how they've behaved and their their moral code, etc. So um, yeah, that's the first one for me. It's the only time in this that I've veered away from what would automatically be a a classic western but um it's one that I'm, i think really fits into this and is a brilliant film that one like i say won multiple oscars for it and uh yeah it's one you should definitely get seen i think
2: okay brooker what's your first pick yeah so my first pick will be unforgiven which back i mean it came out when i was 10 uh it would have been one of the first westerns i remember seeing certainly one of the first ones i remember seeing and enjoying uh between that and tombstone which i think came out around the same time i genuinely think it's the best thing that clint eastwood's ever directed and probably the best thing he's ever acted in uh and it's just this this massive kind of this ensemble cast that you know it just even when i was really young and watching it, it just blew me away all these really cool people that i kind of half knew who they were when i saw them so you know you've got, you got know, your eastwood's your hackman's morgan freeman and richard harris all these other people it's just it's an amazing amazing western it's just uh just over two hours long it doesn't feel really long it it's a, I, I would go so far as to call it as close to perfect as i think a film not just a western but most films could get you know i really really enjoyed it and i you know i, I sat and watched it in preparation for this and i i kind of went yeah, I could watch that again tomorrow without even thinking about it. I think it's an amazing film. Okay. Owen, what is your second choice?
1: Well, the one that I wanted to start with, actually, but um, because I think it is one of the greatest films ever made by one of the greatest filmmakers who ever lived, starring one of the greatest movie stars we've ever known. It's the uh, 1956 Technicolor VistaVision extravaganza. It was The Searchers, directed by John Ford and starring John Wayne. The plot is set a little while after the Civil War, uh, with John Wayne as an old racist veteran. Uh, he finds out that his niece uh, nieces have been taken by some Native Americans, and so he and his uh, half-Native American adopted nephew, who he refuses to acknowledge as of any kind of relation, they spend years over the course of the film trying to uh track down these two girls that have been taken it took me a couple of watches to really appreciate uh, the searchers the very first time i watched it uh was i think it was because it was in the sight and sound top 10 and i'll be honest i didn't like it i remember thinking that it looked amazing just kind of as i expected it to i guess because you know sight and sound and the cinematography they sort of go hand in hand really um but also that it felt a bit
3: uh,
1: distant, I guess. Like I couldn't connect with it. And I think Westerns have always seemed to me to be the genre of like a generation that I didn't belong to. And there's like, you know, hundreds of these things were released every year in America during the sort of 40s, 50s, and then into the 60s. I think because, because they were quite cheap to make and they were like consumable mass market consumable. And I mean, in the 1930s, the Wild West was just like, it was the stuff of myth and legend, of course, but was actually, uh, like for a lot of people, only like 50 years ago, there were people who who were alive when these films were being made in the 30s who could still remember the Wild West. And, you know, the gunfight at the OK Corral, as I mentioned earlier, was only, that only took place in 1881. You know, Wyatt Earp didn't die until 1929. So these, these films were being made as if it was in the distant past, but it was still quite recent at the time. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like maybe I wasn't part of the culture, I wasn't part of the generation. Um, but, yeah, when John Ford's The Searchers came out, it was, that was like peak Western period in the mid-50s. And it also it had the archetypal Western actor in it with John Wayne playing the Injun, hating man's man sort of character. And it's partly why um, well, he starts off as that and then you quickly realize... He's a very complex guy, uh, but anyway. So it's partly why The Searchers is so clever as well is because it's quietly subverting all that it seems to appear to be on the surface. Um, and I think it's why it, it tallies quite nicely with Unforgiven because they both examine the myth and legend of the Western and the Wild West and the frontiersmen and the characters that were associated with that era Uh, and being manly men and being these heroes. um, But actually, you understand that it's not quite as simple as that. These guys are murderers, and they would kill people for money or for revenge or um, whatever weird sort of... Excuse came across their vastly corrupted moral compass and the thing is that John Wayne here he he isn't the heroic savior of the white man against the brutal savages. he's just a cold-blooded guiltless unflinching killer of a race of people that he despises and it's just another reason why the film's so clever it's just assumed that he's going to save these two girls from these wild. Tribal monsters, but of course that's not as clear, clean cut as as it first appears to be. Um, it's just yeah, it's just absolutely phenomenal movie. Like I say, one of the best films ever made, one of my favourite films ever made, regardless of fitting into a western genre. Uh, I just absolutely love it. It's it's fucking brilliant. Okay, uh, my
0: second film is, um true grit the 2010 version i have seen the original since um but i've gone for the 2010 version because a i thought it was a, an excellent film um and and really enjoyed it but b i wouldn't have watched the original probably if i hadn't have watched this one um it's a, a coen brothers film starring um jeff bridges as a deputy u.s marshal um also stars matt damon josh brolin um I just thought all the main performances in this um, were excellent, especially from, I think it's Haley Stenfield who played the, the, the main character, um, the protagonist, who is looking for um, her father's murderer. Uh, and Jeff Bridges is kind of like a, a, a drunk, I suppose, gruff sheriff, lawman, who, who's helping her um and yeah i just thought it was was absolutely fantastic really en- engaging and yeah it's not not the usual the usual kind of film that i'd watch but every now and again i'll find something like this that will that will really kind of make me want to watch more films of its ilk
1: yeah i mean uh, the the john wayne virgin was close to my list um I would, like I say, I was trying to limit the number of John Wayne films that I was going to include on this. It was it was basically The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and uh, also alongside that was uh, True Grit and, and uh, The Searchers. It the, the remake is good, though. I do like the remake. It kind of sparked a mini modern revival of the genre as well. There were a few films dotted around it that came around the same time, but um, it kind of brought the genre to the mainstream again. And it's because of the Coen brothers, of course, and their love for westerns. But I'm sure we can come on to that whole shebang <laughs> a bit later.
3: I mean, I liked the... I must admit, I liked the remake. I thought it was a, a good film. I love the original. So yeah, But I think it's one of those things where better doesn't equal favourite sort of thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um it is clearly a better made film with better values, better acting, better this, better that. But if I was given the two a choice of the two, I'd take the original to, sure. to watch. So they, mainly because uh, I can remember it, watching it as a kid and it absolutely scared the shit out of me. It literally gave me nightmares about snakes. I remember as a kid uh, dreaming about snakes from it, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Weird things you remember as a kid sort of thing, yeah? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, no, this, the remake is certainly a very, very good film, too.
0: Um, Liam, what's your second choice?
3: My second choice is, unsurprisingly, a John Wayne film. hey, <laughs> uh, But this one is um, off the radar a little bit, uh, compared to the others. The uh, War Wagon. Um, oh, yes, yeah. Uh, which I rewatched uh, in preparation for this, because in my head it was sort of like it was it might be one of the on the substitutes bench for uh, for this list. Uh but on the rewatch it was just jaw-droppingly brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. It also it doesn't get mentioned as much as most of his films and when it does get mentioned a lot of people seem to think it's the one that it's different because he plays the baddie in it um which I don't think is really true because yeah, he is the guy that masterminds the robbery and the the taking of the war wagon. But it's basically to get back his own land and his own property. So whether that makes him the baddie or... I don't know. But um, well, the basic story is, is that um, it's John Wayne and Kirk Douglas. Uh, Kirk Douglas is absolutely brilliant in this. Is
1: this the one where he wears those weird leather chaps?
3: Yeah, and uh, jumps on off the horse as, as a... Uh, his athleticism at, at getting on and off horses, and it is him because yeah. you can see his face. Um, he barely he run towards a horse and barely breaks stride, and somehow he's on it and gone, sort of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the basic story is that uh, John Wayne's character was. Uh, this is none of this is shown. It's all sort of just hearsay in, in uh, during the story. Uh, he was swindled out of his land. Uh, fitted up for a crime and actually ended up getting shot as he was being arrested by, by um, Kirk Douglas's character actually shot him and the story actually from the, the film begins as he returns from being in prison um, with the intention of getting his land and the gold that has subsequently been found on his land back. He starts plotting how he's going to get this back and it comes to um, Be known that um, Pierce, who's the bad guy in it, who swindled him out of his. uh, um, transports the gold dust via this war wagon, which is basically like a horse drawn tank. It's completely like iron clad. It's got um, a Gatling gun on the top, and it has hundreds of horse riders, sort of before and after it, an enormous convoy of them to look after it. So he sets about how he's going to bring this wagon down. He makes a pact with Kirk Douglas's character, Lomax, that if he comes in with him, um, he'll pay him a daily fee and double it if he has to use his gun. And uh, the clever part is Douglas makes no secret of the fact that Pierce has already offered him big money to shoot John Wayne's character. So he makes it very clear, you stick to what you're going to do or I'll just shoot you and take my money that way. The whole film just follows him putting together a gang, which includes um, Howard Keel, though you'd never recognise him as the as the mm. Indian in it. Um, I, it just completely surprised me; it was him. Uh, it didn't look anything like him whatsoever. It's basically a a plot to rob this train, this um, uh, wagon of its gold, uh, but it more plays along the lines of a sort of buddy movie type thing in the, the bouncing between Wayne and Douglas's characters. I'm very surprised it hasn't been ripped off for a modern film, in fact, because mm-hmm. you could quite easily use the plot and the the scenery, everything really, and just replace the, the horses with cars and the wagon with, I don't know, like a Humvee or something. Um, <laughs> and exactly the same thing could be done in modern times sort of thing. And mm-hmm. needless to say, if they made a remake, I'd hate it on principle. But um, yeah. it's this... Uh, it's a fantastic film. It's one of Wayne's that doesn't get as much attention as most of the others. Yeah. He's very good in it. It is a bit different to the other story-wise as well. So I think it's really worth seeing it just for that, see a different aspect to him and a different type of story.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite interesting as well, isn't it? The sort of time that it came out because it was in that era where Leone's westerns were trying to change the landscape for the genre. Yeah. It came just sort of after those, I think. And it was back to John Wayne and Kirk Douglas, almost as if they're trying to rescue the genre that they owe a lot to. Yeah.
3: I guess.
1: And yeah. It was, it's quite interesting as well because, you know, when I watched this, I thought, well, hang on a minute. Kirk Douglas and John Wayne, weren't they sort of enemies, really? Yeah. and they have completely different ideals? Isn't this a bit weird to put them in the same film together? Yeah. Because of the whole sort of uh, – it wasn't blacklisted, but, you know, the different opinions about – American politics, shall we say. Exactly. I mean,
3: John Wayne was a particular... I mean, let's face it, I I love a lot of the films he was in. But Mm. he was one horrible redneck son of a bitch, a horrible, horrible man with some appalling views on life, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah,
1: I think a lot of it is uh, overplayed. You know, people talk about him being... Oh, you know, he was incredibly racist of everyone but in real life that wasn't necessarily true and it's just one of these things where his reputation is quite exaggerated because of the characters that he played but i think he yeah he was very uh staunch republican right-wing american
3: yeah yeah i mean i read my brother bought me a, a very large biography of wayne um and i haven't got through it all but mm. i've been, been piling through it in stages because it is extremely large um, <laughs> and I'll just put it He's not the sort of person I would go for a beer with. Uh, no,
1: no, he's probably n- not for most people. But um, no, um, obviously he would have great stories. <laughs> he was a yeah, funny, exactly. A story, yeah, but you n- not necessarily to be quite friendly with on a long term basis. But um, no, exactly. Great yeah. movie star, though. Oh God, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. Uh, Brooker, what's your second choice?
2: I kind of I watched this film recently, like, a, like the first time I watched it was only a couple of weeks ago and I watched it for no other reason than it looked a little bit interesting and more than one person said it was excellent and I was coming off a bit of a a horror kick after being at Fright Fest and it's Bone Tomahawk
1: oh man, what a good film Yeah, that you, you guys,
2: so well, the thing with this is and what, what really blew me away about this film and mm. it I wasn't sure whether, because I kind of watched it I was like, I was like, in the mood for a Western, like I say, this horror thing, and more, you know, several people have said it's really good. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a butcher's. And what what got up to me was it felt like a classic Western. Like I mean, It was only made last year, but it felt like, a, you know, an old school Western, like four blokes riding off together to go rescue someone, you know, go rescue a group of people from Indians. The basic premise of this film is, you know, it, it's, classic early days of cinema western and i which made it really interesting to me and then obviously you get to the the, the horror elements of this film and holy fucking shit does it <laughs> turn into one of the nastiest films i think i've ever seen it is just so gruesome but it's so fucking good i was blown away absolutely blown away by it it
1: was just brutal wasn't it that film? Absolutely brutal, and it came out of, not necessarily nowhere, but I think the the level of brutality in it it was shocking compared to how the film started. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't ex I knew it would be quite a, um I because it just the reputation of it I knew it would be quite uh, violent, but
2: well, the, I mean the fact that it appeared with an eighteen rating uh, meant yeah. that there was going to be something about it that was going to be quite. Violent, maybe not as na- maybe not as nasty as it actually turned out to be, but you knew it was going to be and kind graphic,
1: of graphic. I think is the... yeah,
2: graphic is the best word for it. Hmm. And and when you just, but even recently we've seen a couple of films, not even necessarily westerns, but we've seen a couple of films like uh, Inglorious Bastards, for example. Hmm. That's you know, it's brought scalping into into films, and they've been quite nasty films. Nothing compared to this fucking thing. Mm-hmm. This, the scalping in this movie made me cringe. Yeah,
1: the, the scalping, the bone things that they've got for the like the whistle. Yep. Yeah, and the one scene where they're in the outside the little prison cell
3: things. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: And they is they wishbone the, the dude. That's, oh,
3: yeah. god, that was grim. Just, do you know what is? I, I found uh, horrifying about it. It was as Yeah, the images were were brutal. Mm-hmm. The sound was oh, yeah. horrible just
2: the, the crunching yeah. and the squelching and
3: but yeah, the, and the, the, the thing vault. about it was <laughs>
2: like that like that with that scene where they wishbone the dude like the first hit you go jesus christ that's fucking nasty yeah and then it keeps going, it keeps over going. and over <laughs> and over again you know
1: like you yeah. know i'm looking
2: at it, this just stop fucking hell yeah. it was yeah. it went
1: further than i expected it to and yeah, the whole it, of the ending to it as well. Yeah. I didn't expect it to get quite as uh, bloody. No. As it did. No. But yeah. Even still, even still, I should have known better because of how, you know, what preceded it. Yeah. The
2: but yeah, it came out of nowhere, kind of came out of nowhere for me. I I just kind of bit the bullet and, and bought it on Blu-ray and went, fuck it, I'll just give it a watch. You know, worst case scenario, I'll eBay it and lose a couple of quid. Uh, no, that's in, the, in my collection forever. It was fucking amazing.
3: And
1: Kurt Russell with his pre-hateful eight big bushy moustache.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think he must
1: have just walked from one set to the other each day. I think he did. Yeah, he, he must
2: have done.
3: And the uh, the bloke from um, the second series of Fargo, uh,
1: Patrick Wilson was in it. Right? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, 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 him. Yeah, he was in it. And so was the the Indian guy right at the start who sort of says they're not really they're not Indian. Mm. You don't know mm. who they are. <laughs> that sort of thing. He was in that Fargo as well. That's who was a Fargo as well, wasn't he?
2: All right. But we, uh, when we sat and watched it, I was, I was a little bit gutted. I have to admit, when Sid Haig turned up at the beginning of it, do, you, do you guys know Sid Haig?
3: Don't, not by name. No, not overly. No, no. Not, he
2: played, uh, he played Captain Spalding in the, the first two Rob Zombie horror films, House for a Thousand Corpses and. Oh, the Devil bald rejects. guy, the, yeah, the um, bald clown guy. I, saw, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: oh yes, it's him, it's Sid Haig. Fucking yes, this is going to be awesome. And then they kill him off in like three minutes.
1: Yeah. Do you know? So, who I know him from gone. He was in Night of the Living Dead 3D. Yes he was. Do not watch that <laughs> film if you just that is not a recommendation. It's not it's all.
2: fucking terrible I've seen it. <laughs>
1: just diabolical that film. <laughs> uh, anyway, Owen, what's your
2: final choice?
1: Um so, I also wanted to go quite modern uh for my final choice. Um uh, basically, what happened late last year, in preparation for The Hateful Eight coming out, actually. The Hateful Eight isn't my choice, by the way. Um, but in preparation for that coming out last year, I did watch like a succession of um, westerns that I hadn't seen before. Most of them were quite modern. I watched um, The Homesman, uh, which was good. really enjoyed that. Um, although it was more mainstream than some of the other Westerns that I watched. I also watched Slow West, uh, which I've re-watched ahead of this podcast again. Um, much preferred it the second time. Around. First time I thought it was good, second time I thought it was great. Uh, I also watched The Salvation with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, I love The Salvation. Thoroughly enjoy that film. That is a cracking film. Um, then there were a couple of classics that I also watched last year that I'd never seen before. Uh, I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. One of my favourite westerns now. Just adored that film. It was just so charming as well, all the way through. Uh, and also, um, I watched Shane, which I guess you, you've you probably seen, Liam.
3: Yeah, no, no, not for me
1: that one. No, I didn't get it either. But that's got such a big reputation.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, not for me that
1: didn't, one. No. Didn't do much for me, that one. But um, one that did impress me uh, was Meek's Cut-Off. Which is directed by Kelly Reichardt from 2010, very art house western movie, um, and I think the least accessible of those that I've just mentioned. Um, you really have to work hard to get anything out of it. Um, but there is a moment in the film where it all just clicks, everything slots into place, it comes together, and you just switch into it. It just you get it suddenly. And for a while, it's just a a blisteringly good um, western. I mean, it's set on the Oregon Trail in 1845. So there's this group of people and these settlers, they're traversing the desert there and they get a bit lost. And that's basically the plot. And then it's about them trying to, uh, within their little group, work out who should lead them. Uh, who should they listen to have they got a chance at all of finding water have they got a chance at all of surviving in the desert heat i mean how do they keep going where do they go um because they are completely stuffed and it's got paul dano in it it's got bruce greenwood will pattern uh, and most impressively of all michelle williams is in it who who's just i mean i love michelle williams in everything that i've seen her in but in this as well she's just great absolutely great performance um But there's a bit in the film, like I say, it doesn't start off particularly well. And then this uh, Indian, uh, Native American character is introduced. And suddenly, it's not just about a group of people who are kind of diametrically opposed to each other's point of view. But there's like, it adds a mystery element to it. Because then it's this guy helping them. Is he leading them into a trap? Is he just kind of faffing about? I mean, you don't really no at that point and it's so it starts off very underwhelming and then suddenly it's just like gripped. i was just gripped until maybe the last five or ten minutes when it all kind of fell apart again slightly but it's that kind of second and majority of the third act it's just bloody good is what it is makes cut off it's and it's an odd one to single out with all those because like i said salvation i probably enjoyed overall more um Holmesman again, was great. It was just a mainstream melodrama, but it was really good. Um, with Tommy Lee Jones was, was great in it. It's got Slow West, like I mentioned, which is great. Butch Cassidy, fucking amazing. Uh, Shane, not so much. Um, but I wanted to include one of these more modern ones. I could have gone for something like True Grit, like Steve Chose. I could have gone for Django Unchained, even, which I think is probably Tarantino's second best film, and I'm aware... That just by saying that I've probably invalidated my opinion on all the films I've talked about today <laughs> for a lot of people, but I really Especially liked all, Django everyone's
2: uh, just turned off now they they've, they've gone,
1: got ignore this guy yep. <laughs> yep. um but meek's cutoff really of those batch of films I watched towards the end of the last year Meek's cutoff is the one that really stuck with me um and it, it just it's it's one of those that I would recommend people. Who want to see a modern interpretation of a Western because I think the genre has completely changed from what it was in like the f- films we started talking about you know, in 1956 and before that um, into this kind of slower-paced um, thing. But it still keeps this idea about... It's telling a story of morals, of people, of humans. Um, so it's just really good. Really worth checking out. Meek's cut-off, it's called, from, uh, from 2010, that was.
3: Not one I've heard of, but I've got Slow West down on my list to watch next. I've got that queued up to watch next, actually, I think.
1: Yeah, it's worth yeah. it. It's like so the yeah. first time I watched it, I thought this is quite good. Second time I watched it, m- much improved, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm sure there, put yours on as well, though, actually, because uh, mm. I'm right back into me Westerns now, all of us. I can tell you,
1: yeah. <laughs> spent three, four solid weeks of watching Westerns.
3: Yeah, yeah. I have literally, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not not unhappy about it. This is me being happy, you know. This, this, this is a rare event. This is a rare event. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, my final choice is <clears throat> a film that Owen has just mentioned, which is Django Unchained. I mm-hmm. um, said so I've not seen a great deal of westerns. Um, most of the ones I have seen are, are reasonably modern, um, but I did really enjoy this one. Whether it's Tarantino's second best film i think is very much <laughs> up for debate um <clears throat> but i did think it was was um was fantastic i thought the it, it was very tarantino mm. um it did perhaps get a little bit um muddled towards the end and, and didn't quite need to, as long an ending or the same ending as it did um could have been ended in a bit more of a uh concise way but I thought we had obviously Christoph Waltz coming off the back of his kind of breakout success of Inglorious Bastards and um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is, is pretty much always excellent and uh, Jamie Fox was a far better actor than he is a singer
2: um, That's not really saying much now is no. it?
1: Yeah. Did you know that, uh, that that was originally written for Will Smith that role?
0: Yes, yes mm-hmm. I did yeah uh, I can't remember why Will Smith turned it down. Um, because
2: he doesn't believe he's much better an actor than he is a singer. It's, wasn't it because he wanted to do
1: After Earth? with this song? Might oh, have wow. been.
0: He did, he did Wild Wild West and turned down being Neo in The Matrix. Yeah. So so maybe, you know, he thought, well, I've done one West and I'm not doing another one.
1: I'm sure one of the world's richest actors is really ruining all these decisions. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine it um, that part. No. It's a bit odd, isn't it, when you think about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was good. I mean, he still can be good in films. It was one of the better things about Suicide Squad. I mean...
0: Yeah, he still... You know, he was concussion as well last year. I thought he was quite oh, yeah. good in this role, And But, yeah. Um... I don't know. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so, I, I, I really enjoyed Django Unchained. Um, I haven't seen it... I don't think I've seen it more than twice. So, I need to give it another rewatch, but... It's quite yeah. a
1: long one, though, isn't it? It's one of those... You, yeah. I love it. I really do. But it's you've kind of got to be aware that you can't just watch half an hour of it. You're going to be committed to the whole thing, and it's like two yeah. and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen the original Django with Franco Nero in it? No. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I'm
3: not... wasn't that keen on it, quite frankly. No. I mean, it was, a, it was an entirely meh to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. So yeah, it was enough. like
1: a box-ticking thing, wasn't it? It was like you've... Yeah.
3: You, yeah, exactly, you can say yeah. you've
1: seen Django now, but it really—I mean, I, I, I imagine at the time it was completely shocking because of you know of what Western was, and then suddenly you've got this guy dragging his coffin all over the place, and yeah, I just thought, yeah, it was great. I—I I, but I didn't love it particularly. No. Yeah, no. Django Unchained is much better. Right, so
3: yeah, it's very, very,
1: very good film. Yeah. Uh, Liam, what's your final choice?
3: My final choice is probably the only Clint Eastwood film that we haven't mentioned tonight. between <laughs> <laughs> uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah.
1: Uh, can't, i never even heard of no, it. I've, I've, I was sure you were going to say The Outlaw Josie Wales then.
3: Oh. Uh, or Hanging by or something the, like that. This is one of the ones that I, the reason I had a standby is because I thought pretty much certain somebody else is going to choose this first. Because I thought it was that famous. It's an absolutely fantastic film. Yeah, there are lots of little extras sort of parts in it, but it's basically just a two-hander between uh, Clint Eastwood and Shirley MacLaine, um, which I know sounds a bit weird, but she is absolutely brilliant in it. It's a, I'd say it's the best co-lead performance, for, um, certainly uh, by by female um, actor. She's, she's brilliant in it, I must say. It does make a change, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm far from one of these that, you know, sitting there with a, a stopwatch, uh, making sure that the females have the same amount of times as the males or whatever. But there are, there just aren't any good women in in Westerns as a rule. This one is entirely different. She's brilliant in it. Clint Eastman is um, sort of typical gun for hire. Type And he's getting ready to go scout his next job, uh, which is an attack on a French fort in Mexico. Um, and he comes round one hill and he hears screaming and there's a nun being attacked by a group of three ruffians. And he sa- long, Without spoiling too much, uh, he saves her from the three bad guys. He's about to sort of send her on her way. I've oh, fulfilled my duty sort of thing. But it turns out she is on the run from the French that he is preparing to attack and has been working in a French fort and can provide him with as much information as he needs. So he figures he'll lead her to safety out of the desert and she can help him plan his attack on the fort. It is basically a two-handed film. There's little people run here and there every every so often. It's got so many different aspects to it that it's impossible to fully describe. But um, it's my favourite of his films, I preferred it even to The Unforgiven sort of thing. It's far older. It's 1970, was released. There's lots of good bits about it. Definitely one I would recommend you see, um, especially as I th- I thought it was one of the most famous in the genre sort of thing. But um, two of you saying that you're not aware of it is a bit surprising to me. Well, uh, I
1: wouldn't take that as an indication of anything, to be honest. No. It well, no.
3: Well be. But, uh, there's some great scenes in it in... Um, the raiding of these of this fort lots of action stuff on the go um it's it's certainly one that i would say yeah just just say yeah it's very good it's a couple of hours of your time that you'll thoroughly enjoy but throughout the film it kind of feels like a a sort of a romance building type thing which is just not the case uh, it's got a really good twist at the end that you don't really see coming but uh without Going on too long about it, just just see it. It's a very very good film, and uh, Shirley MacLaine's brilliant
0: in it. Okay, and Brookie, your final choice.
2: <laughs> I'm a bit gutted with this one. To be fair, I I really when we said we were going to do a Western triple, I was like, okay, so I've got to talk about this film because you know it's, it's it's a fucking great film. I remember it from when I was a kid, and it being really amazing. And I rented it a couple of well, last week, week before uh, to watch it again before we'd done this. And it just, it wasn't as good. Uh, uh, I'm talking about Blazing Saddles, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the, the mid-70s comedy, Western comedy, which was basically, it, it was this film that was made just as Westerns were getting a bit out of hand and you know, right on the cusp of really becoming a parody of themselves, Blazing Saddles came out to parody them all on its own. Uh, and what it does, it does relatively well. You know, it's still got a few jokes that land. Uh, but the problem with it is, I just, I didn't laugh at it as much as I thought I would. And I'm, you know, I've not gone, I've not gone all politically correct and, oh God, you can't have racist jokes and because that shit doesn't bother me at all. If it's funny, it's funny. I just, really, it, none of the comedy landed with me. I, I just kind of sat there watching this, feeling really sad that I've spent maybe. The last fifteen years putting this film up on such a high pedestal and I've watched it again and gone, Oh okay. Is that it? Luckily it's only an hour and a half long, so I didn't waste too much of my life with it. But I do think while I didn't enjoy it as much as I remember enjoying it back in the day, I do think it's one worth talking about because it did it did uh like I say, it parodied these these films that were so so close to just being you know just, self-parodying movies
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know the whole the manly man thing and the uh, and all that kind of you know the man with no name bullshit and the, the super duper gunslinger it you know it was so the, the genre as a whole was so close to just being it wasn't being taken seriously anymore so before they could talk themselves into a little corner blazing saddles came out and went right we're gonna rip into everything and it did you know, from you know the racial stereotypes to the 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 showgirl shit, that absolutely everything, you know, nothing was a uh, nothing was safe with Blazing Saddles. But it just, nah, not as good as I, I remember it being. And no, not you know, I I think the funniest thing about this film was I was doing a little bit of reading while I was watching it, and uh, it 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 still gets in the states. It still gets cut for TV quite badly and all the racist stuff is removed for for tv which just leads me to think that it's going to be about 40 minutes long when you do that because you know this this entire film is basically one long racist joke Mm -hmm. that gets way out of hand you know not uh, like i say not that it bothers me it just seems like a weird thing to cut from a film that's basically famous for you know constant jokes at the black dude it it just felt like an an out of date completely out of place comedy that just it's time has been been and gone and it's just not it's not relevant anymore and that actually made me really sad
1: well we yeah we had quite a lot of social media response to this as well lots of people choosing their favorite westerns and some that we haven't mentioned at all uh sean at Sug daddy he tweeted in to say his three favorites Young Guns, Young Guns 2, and Three Amigos. There's three westerns straight off the bat that we haven't even mentioned it all yet. Um, Young Guns turned out to be quite a popular suggestion as well. Uh, and the sequel, weirdly. Uh, Matt Lamborn, favourite uh, of ours. Matt, old Matt. He used to be on the podcast quite a lot. Uh, Young Guns 2, Unforgiven, and 310 to Yuma, the remake. Uh, and he said, and of course, Tombstone. Just for Kilmer versus Bain, Bein? Bain. Bain, that guy, Bain. Bain. Um, I never, I never got on with Tombstone. I have to admit, I just, no, I, I liked it. it. Oh, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't that one. No, I like Val Kilmer in it. I like Kurt Russell, but as a f- film, no, it didn't, didn't do much for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, Young Guns. It, why is this so popular? Am I missing out because I don't think I've ever seen it? Young I Guns one is excellent. First.
3: Yeah, and it was a, a a first Western to make headlines for a little while, wasn't it? When it came out. Because
1: it was in the 80s, wasn't it? It was quite a big yeah. deal. Yeah.
3: Emilio Estevez was very young in it, wasn't it? Well, mm-hmm. sort of like early 20s looking, something like that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Three Tents of is an interesting one, though, because that I have huge... I I always think it's, it's weird, because of the remake and the, the original and the remake, and they're really quite different. Mm-hmm. And... Um, It's weird. My favourite is always the one I've seen most recently. And it's swapped every (laughs) single time. Every single time. Because you see the remake, Mm -hmm. this is fantastic. It's brilliant. Everything about it is really good. And then you see the original and you think, God, this is so much better than that overlong (laughs) piece of overblown nonsense. Yeah, just Um,
1: flip-flopping between them.
3: uh, Yeah, whichever one I've seen last, I think is brilliant.
1: (laughs) We also had Upper Tier Steve. Uh, on Twitter, he sent in uh, the Long Riders. Don't don't know that one. Do you know? No, have you heard it?
3: No. Yeah, I've seen it, but a long while back. But I have seen that, and it's a uh, it's ringing good bells.
1: Yeah. That's he also said Young Guns as well, and he said Dead Man, um, which I think is that thing with Johnny Depp in it, isn't it? I but like anyway. That. Yep, so there we go. Uh, that's what we had through Twitter. Oh, and of course, Paul Field, he tweeted in Young Guns, Young Guns 2, and The Good, The Bad, The Weird, which we didn't touch on. I as love Korea. The Good, The Bad, The uh, Weird. I don't know what... See, these these kind of films, I, did, I left out of my list intentionally. Yeah. The ones that aren't quite Westerns, they're kind of contemporary versions of a Western. You know, you could have had anything from The Proposition, which is set in Australia, to The Good, The Bad, and The Weird from Korea... Uh, with Byung-hyun Lee in it, who will come into the the podcast in the next section. And then, um, you know, all these kind of, like, Drive as well with Ryan Gosling quite, so often, quite often gets compared to Westerns. All these kind of movies I uh left out purposefully. Someone mentioned one to you as well, Brooker, through Facebook, which I wasn't <laughs> sure about, which you asked <laughs> for my permission whether we could include it or not. Well, uh, I mean... And his response was, I don't know if you saw it, he said, it's got
2: guns, Mexicans and Texas Rangers. It must be a Western. Yeah. So then, and he was talking about From Dusk Till Dawn.
1: See, to, oh. to, I don't know, because that straddles so many different things, doesn't well, it? It
2: does. It, but it's a Western mixed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it's an excellent Western until it becomes Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
1: Well, it's kind yeah. of a weird psychological thriller to start with, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's yeah. just because it's kind of set in that. I don't know. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought to consider it um, a western. The main
3: thing I liked about that was Jimmy Vaughan was the uh, the guitarist in the band in the main scene, and, <laughs> and, and I rather like Jim. I rather like Jimmy Vaughan from the um, yeah fabulous Thunderbirds. So, yeah. <laughs> but you had like that film.
1: you had other um, Rodriguez. Uh, Films that could come into that then, because you're opening up the doorway for things like Desperado, El Mariachi. El Mariachi,
3: that's brilliant I
1: really. Yeah. Like
2: yes, yeah, which... I, I would definitely call El Mariachi, I'd call all three westerns, although I I tried desperately to forget Once Upon a Time in Mexico.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I had very fond memories of that until I rewatched it. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, uh, that wasn't the right thing to do. John,
2: there's just Johnny Depp being a cunt in a hat again.
1: Oh, man, it's not a good film. Desperado, though. Pff, fucking brilliant. I love
3: Desperado. Yeah. Yeah. and Neil Mary Archie are two very, very good films. Yeah. Uh,
1: what else did you get through Facebook then, quickly, so we can uh, <laughs> wrap up this section?
3: <laughs> okay, so very
2: quickly, so we got, uh, my mate Lee's come out with Rango, oh, which, yeah. which is an awesome suggestion. I was like, oh shit, yeah, and Rango was amazing. I loved Rango. Yeah. Uh, we had Tony Black say, true grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, this is basically a back and forth between a couple of my friends, one of them being <laughs> uh, John, who I'm recording with tomorrow. So we've got Brokeback Mountain, Dances with Wolves. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely taking the piss when he says The Lone Ranger.
1: Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I hope Dances with Wolves wasn't taking the piss, because that's another one that no. I've seen once and got very fond mem- memories of. No, um, Dances with Wolves is all right,
2: but I, I do. I remember loving it the first time I saw it, and then the second and third time, it's just... It's just all right. Ah, uh, I wouldn't say I love it. And I think Wyatt Earp falls into that for me as well. Like Wyatt Earp was really good when I first saw it and then kind of diminished a little bit. Yeah, uh, what else did we have? Uh, he said, remember watching a lot of Rawhide at my dad's?
1: We haven't talked at all about um, Western as like a TV thing because they they were huge. Rawhide and uh, Gunsmoke. And... Alias
3: Smith and Jones.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were huge. Alias Smith
3: and Jones, that was mm. brilliant.
2: And there was a Desperado TV show as well. not Absolutely nothing to do with the film. There was a Desperado <laughs> TV show that I remember. My yeah. mum used to watch it, and it was guff. <laughs> uh, and the last one was from Dave Bond. He said, once upon a time in the West.
1: Yes, close to making my list as well. Yeah, yeah mine one, yeah. too.
3: Can't believe we got through the whole thing with nobody suggesting Carry On Cowboy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's because Paul's not here. Yeah, I was going to say, if yeah. Paul Field was here, that would have made it... <laughs>
0: Time now for the final part of the podcast. We're going to review the new version of The Magnificent Seven, starring um, Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington, amongst others. I think all of us, bar Liam, have seen this. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, what, what did we think of it? I mean, I, I thought when, when you hear about the film coming out, you kind of think, same with Ben Hur from a few weeks ago, why are you remaking that? Mm-hmm. But I think this one was perhaps different enough. to to make it a more worthwhile project to remake than than Ben-Hur and certainly was a better remake than what Ben-Hur was.
1: Well, I never bothered with Ben-Hur in the end. It just um, didn't appeal to me at all. No, me neither. I just had better things to do than waste time watching absolute bobbins like that, especially after your review. But The Magnificent Seven, I enjoyed quite a bit more than I expected to. I... thought going in it was going to be i don't know just a generic kind of average um unexciting crap fest really but in the end it was pleasantly surprising and i say that as someone who isn't a fan of the original from 1960 it's one of those there there are certain westerns right that everyone else seems to love and i don't care for much. I mean, we mentioned Tombstone, There's Magnificent Seven, The Wild Bunch, Um, Stagecoach. She wore a yellow ribbon. High Noon. They don't really do anything for me, and I don't know why. I wish they did. Um, but yeah, just just not my cup of tea. But the, it's the one thing that was kind of promising with this was Antoine foucault who I know you're a massive fan of, Brooker. Oh, so,
2: yes. I, I will watch that man just open envelopes for two hours.
1: <laughs> so what, what what did you think of Magnificent Seven then? Did it live up to expectations or surpass them? or?
2: It what? surpassed my expectations a lot. I I went in, I had a couple of issues uh, going in, and I was very excited going in still because it was a cool-looking Western. It was Denzel Washington and, and Antoine Fuqua back again. I... I I really wanted to love it, but I did go in with a, a couple of hesitations. The first one, uh, like I said, in my review was uh, Chris Pratt. I, I had this awful, awful feeling that they were just going to, they were just dragging him in for comic relief, mm-hmm. uh, which the film didn't need for one, you know, it's unless you're making an actual comedy, a Western doesn't need comic relief necessarily. And I was, I was a bit worried about that. And to be honest, you know, and I know it sounds, stupid and and completely backwards i was really worried when i discovered it was a fucking 12a rated film i I generally i don't put an awful lot of stock in ratings a lot of the time but when it comes to westerns i do kind of like them to be a bit violent because it Mm -hmm. was a violent time you know and i know it sounds a bit corny but you know you're talking about a very very violent period in history i i I don't necessarily want realism. I don't want to be going home getting nightmares because of what I've just seen, you know, bone tomahawk style, Mm -hmm. but I, I wanted it. I was worried that it wasn't going to be violent enough for, for the, the genre it was It was shit. It was putting on screen. And on both counts, I came out actually quite happy. You know, I, I really enjoyed Chris Pratt's character. Like I, I said previously, I, he wasn't, there for comic relief. And actually the couple of jokes he did have, I actually, apart from one, which I really loved, I thought most of them fell quite flat. Uh, and a couple of his co-stars had much, much better jokes, uh, even though again, they weren't, they weren't necessary at all. But as a whole, I thought it, it felt like, and I don't remember Magnus and 70, any of the, the previous versions. It's been so long since I've seen any of them. I, I literally, I genuinely couldn't make a comparison. Uh, Mm -hmm. if I'd have had a bit more time I'd have liked to have sat and watched you know all the iterations of the story before I went in but I simply didn't have the time uh so I went in
1: looking kind of cold to it then it sounds like you just went without the weight of the original
2: yeah basically I just went in after a western and I got a western and I got what I thought was a very very good western it was very well put together it felt like a classic western it felt like uh, like Unforgiven did when I watched it the other week. It felt it was really well made. You know, <clears> they <throat> had plenty of, you know, sweeping country shots that made it feel big and open and wide. And, you know, the action was really good. It, you know, the the threat felt threatening. The, you know, the good guy, you know, felt like a proper good guy, you know, down to the point where he was, you know, we're talking old school wild west films where the good you know doesn't get a speck of dirt on his pristine
3: mm-hmm.
2: black shirt and trout i mean the dude just he was awesome you know <laughs> denzel washington in this film was just he was 100 percent cowboy 100 percent of the time i i loved every second of it i thought it was great
1: yeah i mean uh, it the thing is like a film like this has to hinge on the characters having identities of their own doesn't it you can't just yeah. have... I mean, if you're going to bring a group of these people together, they've got to be these uh, this group of individuals. Um, I think it fails some of the characters. Um, so uh, the Mexican guy, he doesn't really do much other than be the Mexican guy. The Native American guy is just a Native American guy. I mean, it's...
2: I quite like the playing off of the... The Native American guy and Vincent D'Onofrio, though, I kind of like their chemistry together. There's not much of it, but what well, there it's is there... Well, one
1: way, I thought. It was all one way. The, the, the chemistry was only coming from Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, oh, yeah, was... that's,
2: def- that's definitely there, but I think it's more... You you needed something... You you had Vincent D'Onofrio, who's a character with... I, I don't want to say too much and spoil it, but you, Vincent D'Onofrio is this kind of character who you expect to... If you'd have made this film twenty years ago, he'd have been very, very, very anti that Native American dude.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, so it's quite nice for him a to not be like that because it would have been generic and predictable. But also for him to actually not hate him and quite like him as the film goes on, I quite like that between the two. I think the problem you've got is you've got seven people on screen. Oh yeah, it's an yeah. it's an ensemble piece. You can't. You can't give everybody uh, equal screen time, especially when two of those people are Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Who are just trying to hog as much of the screen. Yeah. Like, which is, you know, that's what their job is, I guess. I say they make their living. But, I mean, it, it does mean that some, some of them, they do, unfortunately, fall to the, the wayside. And I think as well as, as that, you've got um, to squeeze in two additional characters, who are the Tones folk, uh, yeah. Who have come to find and get this group of kind of renegade, uh, uh, bounty hunter type characters together, and then on top of that, you've got to have a villain who's worthwhile, as um, Sarsgaard, who's um, Sarsgaard, Sarsgaard, Sarsgaard. Okay. Okay, There's no K um, Who I liked. It. I've liked him in other things. I've liked him in an um, education. He was good in that. I watched him in Experimenter. Which was good, was the experiment, or just the experiment? I think. He was good in that. So in this he was a, he looked like he was completely stoned for the entire time, which was uh, an odd way of playing the character. But then it gave him this kind of separation from the others. But this is something that we mentioned ages ago now it seems like hours and hours ago but to do with uh, not that a comment on the quality of this week's podcast it's been fantastic <laughs> but the, the fact that um he uh Fuqua's ca- characters in his films and the way he shoots things they they seem to be um kind of separated from reality he doesn't make things that are it doesn't make it a warm film. There's no connection to these people, I don't think. There's always a kind of distanced element to his movies. And I think, again, in this, it, it does detract slightly because you can't really take to any of the characters. You can watch them and think, yeah, Denzel's a badass. And you can watch it and think, yeah, you know, Chris Pratt, is not just playing the Joker here. He's, he's some, got some quite dark things to him. Um um, but it does mean that it's a bit it's a bit um, it's just quite I'm really struggling to think of what the word <laughs> is that can describe this but you, you're just not it's just a, immersed in the film there's always a kind of element it's like watching it through a glass pint, glass pane I think is films does okay. that make any sense am I, am I is that sounding familiar no, it makes, at all or is it,
2: that, it, it makes sense I don't I'm not entirely sure I agree with this particular film mm-hmm. uh I mean I have, I have to admit I did uh, I fell in love with, with Vincent D'Onofrio's character from the second he appeared on the screen I you know I just wanted to hug him mm. Yeah, you know, I, I thought he was awesome and I I really I really enjoyed spending time with him I enjoyed spending time with all of them uh, but I really enjoyed spending time with with his characters Jack Horn. uh I do see what you mean and Antoine Foucault's like that a lot Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do, and maybe it's my bias. I just love his films <laughs> too much to care. I I do admit that it's never, it's never taken away from my enjoyment of one of his movies.
1: I just find his stuff always a little bit cold, and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a criticism in and of itself because it can still be a good film, and it just yeah. means that it's just a different type of filmmaking. I mean, I don't not what well, it is that he does that so different to anybody else either. I can't I mean, put not my this... finger on what's changed. It's just I I just think it is something about his films that is like yeah, them. And not
2: necessarily with Magnificent Seven, but I do think a lot of his films are supposed to be like that. Mm. Uh, you know, things like The Equalizer and Training Day. You're yeah, yeah. you're sitting watching a film whose central character, you know, and you know, those films are two opposite ends of the spectrum. One is a very, very good guy and one is a very, very bad guy. But they're both you know, ultra violent assholes. Yeah. At the end of the day, and I think you're supposed to to be cold towards them. You know, whether or not you want to root for them, uh, I think you're supposed to be a bit cold towards them. And well, I think that's something he takes into to all of his films. I think uh, Southpaw from the other year, I think, is the same. You know, you're supposed to want to root for Jake Gyllenhaal, but at the end of the day, he's a bit of a dick. You know, and you're supposed to hate him. I think for what he's done.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as well, it's like we were um, like I mentioned, sorry earlier um with uh, oh for fuck's sake this is not going well at all the <laughs> the um oh, wild bunch sorry the yeah. wild bunch right the thing with the wild bunch is that that film for me i don't enjoy it very much um and but it gets to the end of that film and that is that suddenly become you get the reality of the the brutal t- nature of mowing down a town's full of people, right? Because it's got this very, um, not necessarily graphic, but it's just like quite a haunting bit at the end. I think in this, almost the entire third act is a shootout. And it yeah. seems to be that it goes on for quite a long time. It seems to be quite drawn out. Um, I mean, it again, there were bits within that shootout, which are good, and it, it is effectively that is the payoff to the rest of the film that you've watched up until, until that point. So, you know, structurally, it's fine. Um, I just think it was quite long. And the, the, they didn't do a huge amount with it. They didn't do that much to, to make it stand out and seem particularly great. It was just a, a lot of shooting at buildings and stuff. For but did you find it boring? No, I didn't find any of the film boring. I didn't find any of it boring, which I expected to happen yeah i expected to sit there <sighs> sighing looking <laughs> at my watch thinking it's just another two hour 10 minute modern movie that's pointless um but i didn't do that you know but then like the, the mod- most modern westerns actually when i think about it haven't been like that bone tomahawk we've mentioned django and Chain, the hateful eight quite long films the revenant really long film but i didn't ever get bored during that um, you know, you can even go back a few years, like nearly ten years ago, and stuff like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is a long film, and it's a very slow-paced film, but I don't feel bored by it. Yeah. Um,
2: I think this is the thing with the Magnificent Seven, though. It's not a, it's not like a drama western. It's absolutely an action film that's also a western, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I quite liked that. I, I wasn't like I wasn't bored. I The shootout at the end, I I think you're on something with it being a bit long. But at the same time, most of it, I think it was so well filmed for me, at least. It was so well made. I I quite enjoyed watching it. I did think certain sections went on a bit too long. Okay, we could have done with finishing this bit a bit sooner. Uh, You know, Chris Pratt could have had his moment a little bit Mm -hmm. sooner. And Mm -hmm. I'd have been... You know, I wouldn't have been sad that it happened, you know, five minutes earlier. But outside of that, I have to admit, I enjoyed it.
0: Good. Uh, um. Yes. OK, well, that is more or less it for this week's Bell Critics podcast. Just left us some recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going to go Netflix and the big short has been added
1: to UK Netflix. Oh, you bastard. You. Uh, yeah. Uh, there we go. Well, I've got something else. Uh, I've got Something else I can push What's pick, something sure? else then? Lucy has been added to Netflix as well. Okay, um, <laughs> Brooker, have you got anything else?
2: No, uh, give me a second. Let me put right. up Netflix and find something.
3: Okay, Liam. Uh, yeah, I think it's on Amazon. If it's not, it's certainly on Curzon Home Cinema. Uh, Rams, uh, Icelandic film. I've, I know a lot of people have seen this and nobody has said it's uh, terrible. Uh, about two Icelandic, brother, Icelandic brothers, they live about 100 yards away from each other have independent sheep farms, but they haven't spoken for 40 years. And uh, it's a fantastic film, well worth the couple of quid it will cost you to see on Curzon.
1: I can give okay. you a film to not watch, because I, if people suddenly start looking up westerns to watch, uh, I, I paid to rent Jane Got a Gun for this with Natalie Portman. Really? Was- Biggest load of bollocks I've ever watched. Oh, I, I really wanted it to be good. Not all. Really. Oh, no. I mean, th- I was just talking about loads of modern Westerns that I didn't find at all. That one is just tedious.
0: Okay. Um, Brooker, have you found anything?
2: Yeah, I have. Okay, so it's keeping with the Western theme, Slow West is on Netflix.
0: Okay. Excellent. Um. Yeah, so that is all for this week's Fail Critics podcast. Thank you all for listening. And me and Owen will be back next week with...
1: Another podcast.
0: Yes, we every will. every three Yeah. I think he does it on purpose now. But yes, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Um, In the meantime, you can listen to the latest episode of Underground Nights and um, Brooker's new uh, video game podcast will be out um, soon. And we will obviously publish links to that on our various outlets when it is available.
1: The Failed Critics podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening.